The Athletic. I've seen what's going to happen. I've looked into my mystic ball. Regardless of whether he gets included in the England squad or left out, Ivan Tony's clearly going to score because he's either going to cement the reason why Southgate's included him or, or, or prove a little bit of a point as to why he was left out. This is a game, Stephen Gerrard, probably he needs a win. It's no good getting a draw against Manchester City and then losing against Southampton at home. These are the games now that he's going to be judged on and if he doesn't get results, his job's probably going to be in trouble. Son is the one who looks very out of form. Um, he's not playing well. He's not really even getting himself into the, into the goal-scoring positions we saw last season. There comes a time, I think, where Richarlison is playing himself into a position where, where he has to play. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell. This is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined, as ever, by George Ellick, and this week, standing in for Tim Spears, who's ditched us in favour of the more glamorous Spurs podcast, is the Athletics Brentford writer, it's Jay Harris. Jay, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, good to have you on. We'll chat Brentford a little bit later, but plenty of stuff to get through before then. There is just the seven Premier League games this weekend, as Chelsea against Liverpool, Manchester United versus Leeds and Brighton v Palace are all postponed, but still plenty for us to get stuck into, and we're going to start with the two Friday night games. In a moment, it's Aston Villa v Southampton, but let's start with one of the most intriguing games of the weekend, as Nottingham Forest take on Fulham at the City Ground. George, how do you see this one going? It's a a big game for Forest. They need points, really. They've had a few good performances, but not really the points to match. Yeah, I mean, it's two um, promoted teams from last season. Two teams who, for the second half of last season, the championship were were incredibly impressive in what they did. And one of those teams has gone for continuity in in, in Fulham. A couple of tweaks here and there, but largely sticking with the same formula that was so successful in the championship. And then you have Nottingham Forest who have gone after the the Fulham model and that wasn't a particularly successful model. That was one of uh, where Fulham brought in a whole host of new signings, spent a lot of money and uh, twice really were relegated back to the championship at the first time of asking. So, and I think the narrative around Forest, I think because of Bournemouth's very poor start and the, the departure of Scott Parker, the focus has kind of been on Bournemouth as being the poorest team that got promoted from the championship. But then we saw under the caretaker ship of, of Gary O'Neill, Bournemouth going to Forest and getting a result last time. We, we saw Premier League football in a, in a 3-2 dramatic win. And I think Forest, you say they've put in some decent performances. They've put in some okay performances. I mean, the, the, the one win they've got so far this season against West Ham, uh, their first game back at the City Ground was, was a very fortuitous one. Their performance didn't really deserve the three points, even though it was a massive three points itself. The one all draw against Everton was was okay, but they've now lost three games in a row, albeit two of them against Spurs and City, but conceding loads of goals. And, and you look at the, the transfer business they've done now, and it does feel, even though they've undeniably brought in some very good players, when you bring in 21 new players, and this is whether they finish 20th or 12th this season, your strike rate is going to have to be quite poor because there's no way you can be successful in, in 21 transfers. And in my opinion, when you're looking to bring in new players, the, the aim should be that all of them add something to the squad and you look back at them as being as being value for money and worth their while. And that's impossible. You know, we, we've spoken about this before with, with Tim as well, but in my mind, you should not be spending a big chunk of your budget on both Jesse Lingard and Morgan Gibbs-White, who, despite being very different players, definitely fill a pretty similar role. Uh, especially, and when you consider that last season, the players at Forest are going to lose out on, players who, who got them to the Premier League are now going to start losing out. And that's what Scott Parker found very difficult at Fulham was when you bring in a whole host of new players and suddenly a lot of those players who help you get promoted in the first place don't see the grass. 
it's very hard to keep them on side. Similarly, when you've got players like Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo who joined from Huddersfield, and at the time of joining, they'd have been pretty confident they'd have been first first team players. But now you've got other players who've been brought in ahead of them. I think it's fair to assume they're going to be pretty frustrated at the fact that they've joined a club, promised first team football, and then they're not going to get it. So Cooper's got a very tough man management job on his hands in terms of keeping all the players happy. The way that the hierarchy in the, the recruitment division works at Forest makes me think that probably quite a lot of these signings are Coopers. You know, O'Brien, Toffolo, Gibbs-White certainly, but then quite a lot of the ones brought in from the continent probably aren't, which is going to cause in itself the, the synergy between ownership and, and manager might start to crumble, which is what we saw happen at Fulham uh, under Parker as well. So Cooper's got a, a tough task on his hands, and, and I wonder if he'd have rathered uh, if, if he'd rather just more continuity from the side that um, that got them promoted last season. Yeah, Jay Forrest had a lot of out of contract players. Had a lot of players that were on loan last season that helped get them up. So they they had to do business. But as George says, twenty one is extreme. I'm not sure they needed twenty one players. Steve Cooper is an excellent manager, and he in particular is an excellent coach. But no matter how good a coach you are, it's hard to get twenty one players integrated into the side as George is saying isn't it yeah um, as George alluded to it's quite interesting to kind of compare Nottingham Forest and Fulham because obviously Fulham had this reputation a couple of years ago I think they came up and spent over a hundred million pounds and obviously came back down straight away but what's really intrigued me this time around is that they've kept pretty much the same players who who obviously got them promoted from the championship last year if you look at their back four players like Tim Ream, Tosin Adarabayo, Kenny Tete, Anthony Robinson They've all been at the club for a long, long time now. So it seems like Marco Silva is kind of putting his trust in those players a little bit more. And it's the same going further forward with Bobby Dekadova-Reed, Alexander Mitrovic, obviously. And it just feels like what they've done in this summer is kind of identify the areas of the squad that were maybe in desperate need of, of a quality upgrade. They've obviously got Jao Polinia in central defensive midfield and, and he's looked like a quality addition. Whereas to come back to Nottingham Forest, it just seems like they've had a very very scattergun approach in the transfer market there there doesn't seem to be any real real strategy and obviously they've they've gone for players like Lingard and if you look at Lingard's record so far he's not scored a goal or got an assist in in the first five games and and Lingard was kind of introduced as someone who we thought was kind of going to spearhead Nottingham Forest this season and and it's not quite worked out that way and they bought players like Emmanuel Denis and obviously Denny had a had a great record at Watford last well, season. They can't even game near the line up at the moment. I don't think he started a Premier League game yet. A lot of Watford fans would probably tell you he was a really inconsistent player as well. He kind of holds on to the ball a lot. He's not the most probably needs to improve his decision making in the final third at times. So then you wonder how a player like him is going to kind of connect with your Brennan Johnsons, your Morgan Gibbs Whites and Jesse Lingards. So I'm definitely a little bit wary of of just the kind of complete kind of chaos and confusion that, that 21 signings brings. But then on the other hand, we all know Steve Cooper's a, a fantastic coach. So you feel like if anybody could potentially kind of work a, work that out, it could be him. Yeah, Fulham are sat bang in the middle in 10th, George. Mitro is on fire this time in the Premier League. You should have some fun against the Forest defence at, at the moment, you'd think, going into Friday night. But like Jay says, Fulham took that different approach, identifying areas where they needed they needed like a real top-quality player. I think Paulini has been one of, one of the best signings in the Premier League so far this season. I think he's been incredible in defensive midfield for Fulham. But quite, not, quite naively, perhaps some people would have had Fulham... To, to just go straight back down myself in, included in that but without doing loads Fulham look 
a good outfit. They've been one of the best teams to watch in the Premier League so far this season and one of the most intriguing as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wonder how long it'll be till Marco Silva's being touted for, for jobs. I mean, it seems to be the, the merry-go-round and we know that he, in the past, hasn't always been the most loyal. Um, and, and I think he he deserves a lot of praise. You know, I've, I've said it on this podcast before. I, I think he's his reputation has, has been... Yeah, I, I don't think people have necessarily given him enough respect in the past and seen the job that he's done at other clubs. And it, it sounds very simple, but off the back of last season, and we've seen this before, where, where Scott Parker did something very different. Uh, Marco Silva noted that he had a, a very, very good goal scorer and somebody who can hold the ball up and bring others into play. And he said, I'm going to build my team around Alexander Mitrovic. And the likes of whether it's Bobby Deckard over Reed, whether it's Nisikins Cabano, Harry Wilson before his injury, they know that their job is effectively to get the ball into Mitro, onto his head or into his feet at any time possible. And, and that works because he is, you know, he's an elite talent and someone who's now proving at the top stage that he can do it. As for this game, yeah, I probably agree that he will enjoy himself. I mean, there's some irony in the fact that Nottingham Forest have brought in 21 players, yet the back three is the same back three that we saw in the championship. It's it's McKenna, Cook and Worrell. Now, those three, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of, of of all of them. And Cook is clearly the one who's got a lot of Premier League experience. Uh, and, and Worrell is a player who I, I think is a very good ball-playing centre-back and McKenna proved himself in the championship. But if there's one area where you probably need to improve, um, I would argue you need to make sure that you, you kind of restructure a bit. It's probably in defence. And for them to have brought in 20, 21 new players and not even look to, 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 to try to even make one signing, just one quality signing in there. I think we're starting to see that Forest's defence is going to is gonna struggle to keep quality Premier League teams out. And, and at the moment, that's exactly what Fulham are. Um, they look to me to be a, a mid-table side at the moment. And and when you look at their team now, um, maybe you know on, on the same threads, um, the Ream, Adarabayo, um, centre-back pairing could be one area you'd pick at but but so far it's I mean on paper I'm saying but so far it's it's, it's looked really strong so um yeah I think Fulham will will win this Jay you going for a Fulham win as well yeah I think Fulham with the form that Mitrovic is in at the moment just how settled the team's been um I'm probably going to put them give them the win over Forest yeah I'm the same I, I think Fulham will go to Forest and get a good result get three points on Friday night the other game on Friday night is Aston Villa against Southampton George great result last time out for Villa George 1-1 against Manchester City and they did that without Coutinho and Buendia who were both placed on the substitutes bench does he do the same thing against Southampton here does he keep that winning team I think he probably does, doesn't he? I think with I mean, with Coutinho especially, he looks unbelievably out of form and out of sorts. Um, so different to the player that came in um, in January last season and, and really reinvigorated Villa and looked like he was a you know he was the, the Coutinho of old, the Coutinho of Liverpool playing for for a Villa side. You know, cynics would suggest that now he's 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 got his contract. He looks like he's he's happy just to you know to, to float in and out of games, and he looks very short of confidence. Um, and I think the kind of Bailey and Ramsey um, are probably the two out of the four who look the, to be the like the most informed at the moment. Although you wouldn't say that any of them are, are, are playing particularly well. I think it's probably Gerard's biggest. I mean, Dan, I'm interested to know what you think. It's Gerard's biggest challenge now in terms of not just Villa playing well, but you look through and it's the same with Leicester and Brendan Rodgers. You look through the, the Villa team and there are players who you know are playing at about 20% of their potential. When you've got Buendia, when you've got Coutinho, even you know whether it's Ollie Watkins, when, you, when you've got these players... I mean, John McGinn's another great example who have consistently shown themselves to be quality Premier League footballers who are turning out really subpar performances. That is when as a coach or as a man manager, you have to find a way to coax them back to that level. So far this season, we haven't seen him do it. And I don't know, Dan, who you think will be the ones. And I guess part of that responsibility falls on the player as well. You know, you have to say you can't just put it all on the manager because when individuals are not playing up to their level, it's very hard to, to create a, a positive team performance. Yeah, Coutinho's not on form 
at the moment. Probably the last good game he had was against Southampton at home last season where he absolutely run the show and Villa won 4-0. But I do genuinely just think it's a confidence thing. He's such a good player. He loves Steven Gerrard. He's not going out there to, to play badly. I think his, his confidence is just low. Villa haven't haven't been playing very well either. Which for a player like that, you're not going to if you're not if you're not getting loads of the ball, or sometimes you're getting the loads of the ball and the, and the build up is so slow, you're not going to see the best of, of Philip Coutinho. I think he might come back in for this game. I think I think there might be one change and it'd be more of the, more of the side that finished against Manchester City. But then that would probably mean that John McGinn doesn't play, which doesn't feel likely as Steven Gerrard's made him captain. But Jay, this this is a game Steven Gerrard probably he needs a win. It's no good getting a draw against Manchester City and then losing against Southampton at home. These are the games now that he's going to be judged on. And if he doesn't get results, his job's probably going to be in trouble. Yeah, definitely. And I think the kind of the difficult thing with with Philippe Coutinho and Emiliano. Buendia is that Buendia is your your club record signing or Aston Villa's club record signing 33 million pounds I think Philippe Coutinho is probably the best played player in the club's history so it's a real tricky conundrum because even if you're even if you leave one of them out um, it's not the greatest look because you've invested so much financially into them and I think if you're kind of looking at the the postponed games last weekend, you could maybe say that that benefited Steven Gerrard because it's going to give him an opportunity to to kind of regroup and kind of work out what exactly it is he wants from his team. You know, he's nearly been in charge for a year now and I'm still not entirely sure what he's trying to do with them. So yeah, this is, as you kind of alluded to, this is a game that they, they definitely need to win. But I think perhaps most importantly, need to actually see some kind of cohesive performance and actually see what the plan is with Coutinho, Buendia, Ings, Watkins. Because at the moment, it just seems to be chopping and changing every week yeah George I mean that team he set up against Manchester City obviously it was specifically to play Manchester City Jacob Ramsey doesn't usually play in the front three and I think that front three of Bailey Ramsey and Watkins was built to play on on the break so you'd say maybe he has to do something different against Southampton but Southampton aren't a team that go to places and and, and sit back they're quite open they're quite expansive the, the way they play so actually doing the same thing again might be clever because there could be that space on yeah, the Yeah, definitely. Break. I mean, you know, with, with the Ralph Hasselhoodle team, what you're going to get, they're going to press high. They're going to look to, you know, they don't retain possession for possession's sake, but you can be pretty confident they're going to want the ball in the final third and in the opposition half a fair bit. So, you know, if you come across a side, um, well, you set up for a team against Manchester City, who, let's remember, have been all conquering this season already and find a way to go some way to nullifying their attack whilst being able to create yourself. Why not? continue I think we, we saw last season and I'm in no way comparing the, the managerial qualities of, of Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard but we saw Lampard who is a manager who uh, himself prior to this Everton job looked to just press as much as possible you know his both his Derby side and his Chelsea side were just relentless off the ball it wasn't a particularly good press it wasn't a particularly effective press but they looked to, to press every single man and last season he had to change it because Everton were going to get relegated and they they became a different kind of team and even though Everton aren't you know setting the league on fire or anything this season he has in this case I think has stumbled across a means of, of getting more out of his squad so um, for Villa at the moment and I'm sure that that performance and result against City would have given them some confidence um, I think it would be naive to to try and um, go back to a system that wasn't working um, especially against a, yeah, a team in, in Southampton who should be susceptible on the break I mean I'm going to have to go Villa win I can't come on here <laughs> anything else really George what are you going with I reckon draw there be an unhappy Villa Park if that's the case I think Wolves against Manchester City is the Saturday lunchtime game and I'm not sure he'll play but Diego Costa has returned to the Premier League Jay this this is an I've used the word intriguing a few times on this podcast I'm fascinated by this because Diego Costa hasn't played football this year 
I know Wolves are in a desperate situation where they just needed a striker, but there's been a lot of strikers that have come to the Premier League late in their career. You think of Zlatan, you think of Ronaldo last season. The way they're built, physical specimens, the way they look after themselves, they come to the Premier League late and you think, yeah, that, that, that's going to be okay. Costa, I'm not sure he's of that ilk and with not playing for the whole year as well it's going to take him some time to get up to speed what would you make of that signing yeah to be honest when he returned to Brazil it felt like the the natural kind of conclusion to his career it felt like he was kind of entering those those final couple of years and you could probably draw a little bit of a, a parallel with William coming back after he'd left the, the Premier League you know Diego Costa certainly showed that you know he still had the ability to, to score goals when he when he went back to Atletico Madrid but as you said he's not played for for such a long period of time you, you have to wonder how it works out but I think what's kind of uh, been making me laugh when I, I first saw the rumours with Diego Costa being linked to Wolves is that he obviously you know rightly so has a reputation for being a bit of a ruffian but I don't think he ever got sent off when he was at Chelsea but that kind of physical edge that everybody knows that he has he's, he's not afraid to, to kind of upset defenders and get in people's faces it's probably going to be quite beneficial for Wolves if they can get him up to, to full speed and full fitness because it will just allow players like Pedro Neto Daniel Podence to, to kind of thrive and, and, and takes the attention away from them and obviously with the kind of issues that Raul Jimenez is going through if Diego Costa can kind of be can kind of just give them some service whilst he's out then then it, it, it could work out but um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and it will certainly at the very least be funny to have him back in the Premier League yeah they, they need a focal point George when Jimenez isn't there which he, he sometimes isn't at the moment they do struggle Wolves again very good defensively set up very very well on the defensive side of things they've got a lovely little midfield in there as, as well Portuguese flavour of course but then it does all fall down when they get into the penalty box. Yeah, it does. I mean, they're, they're, they're brilliant to watch. Um, it's pretty rare that you, you talk about a side who uh, struggles so much, uh, not just in front of goal, but but actually getting the ball in front of goal to the feet of, of someone who can score to be so aesthetically pleasing. But there's no denying that watching Wolves in full flow, really nice passing football. You know, I'd, I could watch Ruben Neves and Jaramatinho in, in midfield all day um, in terms of the, what they offer. But you are right. And, and with Costa, you know, he's been at Athletic Mineiro in, in Brazil. Um, his contract was meant to run until December. 2022 he requested the early termination of that contract his goal scoring record there wasn't great um, none of that bodes particularly well you wouldn't think to return to the Premier League but having said that they do just need a body and if if Costa I mean he won't be now but if Costa can get himself to, to a level of fitness where he can just be that physical presence and be someone who just be the focal point of their attack that will improve them alone because Raul Jimenez even though he's got plenty of qualities he's not an aggressive penalty box striker in the same way that Costa is he's a very clever player he's a you know he's a player who brings others into play very well and, and is good for some goals but he, he's, he's never going to be a prolific um, striker which we've seen Costa be before um, if I if I was going to predict how many goals Costa will score it, it probably wouldn't be very many but that isn't to say he wouldn't necessarily be, be a good signing because I do just think just having that presence up front should create space for the quality players they do have Yeah it was it was a light show for Manchester City last night in the Champions League Jay Harland with an absolutely ridiculous finish to, to win the game Premier League they're always going to be up there Champions League they really want they really want the Champions League don't they is Haaland the missing piece in the jigsaw to get them that, that they've got off to a great start in the Champions League now yeah two wins from two games is kind of like um, a really great start for them obviously against Sevilla and Borussia Dortmund as well I know Sevilla have had quite um, quite a strange start to well not a strange start to the season they've not been playing particularly well at all but no these are still two teams packed with packed with quality and I think what perhaps is the the best sign for, for Manchester City here is that they did come from behind against Dortmund and they left it so late kind of showing that resilience to, to kind of keep going. And that's what they, they've maybe lacked in the latter stages of the competition in, in years gone by. So to kind of see them get themselves out of a hole was, was certainly encouraging for Pep Guardiola. And yeah, I mean, Haaland, 
Haaland wasn't really bought for Manchester City to win the league, was he really? I mean, he's obviously started in phenomenal form in the top flight, but he was kind of brought to the club to be the difference maker in those massive games, you know, the Real Madrid game in the in the semi-finals last year. So to see him kind of produce the goods, and I mean, I've never seen somebody with that height shows that much elasticity. It's absolutely crazy how he's managed to get his foot up there for the goal. But those moments of of magic, of quality, whatever you want to call it, is exactly what he was brought in for. And that, that and that will definitely take them far. That's priceless in a competition like the Champions League. George, what do you make of Pep suddenly having these five options at centre-half when, when everyone's fit? Kanji played last night. Do you see him as being more of a European player for them or do you think he will appear in the Premier League frequently as well? It was a Kanji and, and Ake, wasn't it? And you kind of thought that Kanji was yeah. coming to, to almost um, be the, the alternate, alternate centre-back, the fourth centre-back ahead of, ahead of Ake. I mean, I... Who knows? I, I think when you're a Man City defender, the most important thing, the most important attribute you can have is your is your ability to play out from the back. I think there are definitely question marks about Nathan Ake's defensive qualities. Um, with Akanji, we know that he's very, very comfortable on the ball, but, but again, not the most aggressive defender. And in games, you know, you probably, even though uh, Borussia Dortmund are aside, I think they've got the third highest PPDA in um which is a pressing metric in in the Bundesliga you know that they're going to press you high but I think with Manchester City and Pep you always know you're going to dominate the ball and they both possess pace to to kind of get back on the counter it's just a rotational game I mean it's Pep roulette as we always say um, and he loves to, to utilise his squad throughout the games City are probably going to play a ridiculous amount of games this season because we anticipate they'll go pretty far in every cup competition they play in so I think it's just a rotational rotational basis and, and after getting off to a good start beating Sevilla 4-0 you know, Pep probably looked at a home game and thought this was a good opportunity to 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 give a couple of understudies some minutes. Uh, I I don't think either of them are, are particularly close to forcing their way into being one of the three. I don't all shout at once, but is anyone going against a Manchester City win for this one? I uh, no, but I, I'm not. I don't think it's going to be necessarily that easy. No, it'll be yeah. Tough. We saw we saw Villa, you know, do better than most Premier League teams this season. And then again, it's important to remember that last night, you know, Dortmund were were seven minutes away from from winning the game one 0 Um, so I, it seems like City maybe after that incredible start maybe it's just natural variance no team can keep up that kind of rate um, are regressing a little bit and and Wolves we know under under Bruno Lage are, are a really good defensive outfit who'll cause some problems on the break so I wouldn't be expecting a, a 4-0 5-0 win but um, you know no, there's no doubt that City a City win is the most likely outcome Jay City for you as well yeah obviously George has just mentioned about Wolves' uh, quality on the break and it just instantly kind of reminded me of a couple of years ago when um, Adama Traore kind of had the, the game of his life and I think he scored twice in a, in a 2-0 win for Wolves against Manchester City obviously Nuno was in charge back then but you know maybe we'll see a repeat performance this weekend the tea time game is Tottenham v Leicester on Saturday disappointing midweek result Jay for Spurs but Mark, I mean this is nothing to do with Spurs v Leicester but Marcus Edwards did used to play for Spurs he put in an unbelievable performance in the Champions League for Sporting has he got any chance of an England call-up when that squad's announced? Unfortunately for Marcus Edwards, uh, I don't think so. There's probably you know quite a lot of talent who've kind of proven themselves in the Premier League and at a higher standard for a little bit longer than Marcus Edwards, who are probably above him in the pecking order. But I think we kind of have to take our, our, our hat off to Marcus Edwards for kind of showing the, the courage and the bravery to... I think he, he moved to Vittoria originally before he got the move to, to Sporting Lisbon. But it can obviously be quite a daunting prospect when you're, when you're a player at a young age and at a little bit of a crossroads in your career... Do you stay at Tottenham? Do you move on? So we have to give full credit to him for for being brave enough to go over to Portugal, the country that, you know, a completely different culture. And it's not a path that we've seen many English players take. Obviously, the path for, for English youth players to go to Germany has been a little bit more established in the past few years. But I think what Marcus Edwards will need to do to to have a chance of, of getting into the, the England squad in the future and probably off the back of the World Cup is just to continue to put in performances like that with those special
special moments and, and continually do it at a higher level and, and he's given himself every good chance to, to be in in with a chance of being a part of England's future. Yeah, quite strange to see him running at former sporting defender Eric Dyer in, the, in that game in the, in the Champions League midweek. Tim, who's defected the podcast today, George, he, he was there watching that game. He's done a great piece on the lack of productivity from Kane, Son and Kulisevsky. He's kind of saying Kulisevsky has to come in and start in the Premier League now. Are you surprised he's been the four guy? Because in the first few games, I thought he was Spurs' his m- m- most most productive player. He looked really, really good, Kulisevsky. And then he's been the one who's made way for Richarlison. You get the impression that Conte's really desperately trying to play Son back into form, but at some point I think Son will sit a game out. Will it be this one? Possibly, yeah. I mean, that seems to be the way that he's going to have to go. Um, I, 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 I can understand why it has been Kulisewski, even though I disagree with it. I think um, I think Conte is very keen to play that uh, Benton Kerr Hoybier partnership as much as possible. I think they're basically undroppable uh, at the moment, and so without changing the shape, it, it kind of had to be him. I, I agree that Son is the one who looks very out of form. Um, he's not playing well. Uh, he's not really even getting himself into the into the goal scoring positions we saw last season. Um, there comes a time, I think, where Richarlison is playing himself into a position where where he has to play so yeah it's been a it's been a fair start for, for Spurs so far this season um, and you know even though the productivity may have dropped off I mean this is as we've said before Kane's most prolific start to a season yet so it's not all it's certainly not all doom and gloom but I, I can see why Tim and it's also it's a good position to be in you know I, I think if you're if you've got a player who's been so good for you so far this season who's very popular with the fan base and who a lot of people think is is one of one of the most talented attacking players uh, in the league in Kulisewski who, who can't get a game then um, then that, that can't be a bad thing because it just shows that the, the depth of quality in the squad but yeah you would expect Son at some point to be the, the man to come out and, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was this weekend Yeah Spurs have always lacked those top quality options in, in the front position if anything happens to Kane and Son they've definitely got that now Jay Rob Tanner's been writing on Leicester being rock bottom. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Oh, do you think we're at rock bottom? Do you think there's still still some way to go to get there? I'm not entirely sure if we're, we're at rock bottom just yet, but it certainly feels like it's, it's heading towards that direction. I think what I find so strange is that Leicester only have one point this season and it came on the opening day of the season against Brentford and it was a game I was at and they were winning they were, I think they were 2-0 up in the in the 46th minute they scored right after half time and pretty much cruising and then in the I think Josh De Silva equalised in the 89th minute of that game so it almost feels like a little bit of a sliding doors moment had they kind of got that win the kind of atmosphere around the place could have potentially been completely different but I guess the frustrating thing for Leicester is that there's nothing really new to this I think it was after they lost to Nottingham Forest in the, in the FA Cup last season that Brendan Rodgers spoke about maybe I've taken some of these players as, as far as I can and that the squad kind of needed to be rejuvenated in the summer and obviously that's not happened so it's what, what do you kind of expect it's obviously a club that needed some sort of fresh faces in the summer and they've not got that so I think we're just kind of seeing the result of this Yeah well the fans are unhappy George obviously Brendan Rodgers is very unhappy as Jay has just said as well and the players even on the pitch look unhappy. The, the, the way they, that they were fighting in the last game and arguing with each other visibly on, on, on the pitch. If you're a Leicester fan at the moment, I think you're struggling for any positive out of your football club. And that isn't a brilliant place to be in. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a broken record when it comes to Leicester because, and this is part of the problem, there's nothing new to say. Basically, since opening day, we've said Brendan Rodgers is under pressure, but they can't afford to sack him. That's not changing. We've said they've got quality players who are out of form and look unmotivated. That isn't changing because they couldn't do anything in the transfer window. The squad has barely changed, um, apart from losing Fafana, bringing in a centre-back to, to replace him, who we who were yet to really see much of. Um, they It kind of feels like the definition of Steve walking into trouble where 
nothing is changing in terms of circumstances at the club, whether by design or, or by requirement because of the financial restraints they're under. And unless something does change, then, then they're going to get relegated. They are the worst team in the Premier League at the moment. And that seems, you know, 18 months ago, that would seem crazy to think. It's it's mad how a, a squad that looks as good as it as it is at the moment can be so poor on the pitch. And they are showing right now how you're, you are never too good to go down effectively everyone else improved they're being left behind I think the, the decision to let Kasper Schmeichel go is worsening by the week you know you're looking at, at, at Danny Ward who's now playing every week if you're looking at the, the kind of goals prevented stat that Opta come up with which is kind of the expected goals compared to the expected goals on target compared to the actual goals conceded uh, Ward ranks third bottom minus 2.4 in the division so even though they are a poor team anyway um, they've let a, a, a decent Premier League come I, mean, I wouldn't go overboard with Schmeichel's performances in the last couple of seasons but they let a decent Premier League goalkeeper go and, and haven't replaced him so it's hard to find any positive Positivity around Leicester and even though they've got attacking players uh, as they have shown you know on occasion even last time against Brighton um, they scored a couple of decent goals and against against Arsenal as well it doesn't matter when you're so defensively poor because it does feel like the more they come out the more they, they're opened up they're opened up at the back and then the easier it is for, for teams to pick them off yeah Jerry Leicester's defence wasn't great last season as is with Schmeichel in there like George says he's been on the decline in the last few years but he brings huge leadership to that back line and also that continuity because he's been there such a long time if you're taking out your keeper and then throwing a new goalkeeper in who's never really been a number one anywhere into a defence that's already struggling you get what's there at the moment where you you just look so so vulnerable everyone looks so low on confidence and it is a mess I mean it's not even just losing Kasper Schmeichel it's also losing Fofana I know he was obviously injured for a large part of last season um, but that's still going to be a big miss and then obviously Kaglas Iontu who was um, you know has been really touted as one of the best centre-backs in the division a couple of years ago seems to have kind of fallen out of favour with with Brendan Rodgers to kind of have that much disruption to to that defensive line is going to impact any team but I think potentially almost more importantly in a way the loss of Kasper Schmeichel obviously he was the club's captain just removes a really prominent voice in the in the dressing room and it's just so vital that you've got leaders and those kind of characters who can lift a lift a team up when they're going through a through a tricky period and if you're in that Leicester dressing room right now and you've you know you've got one point from 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 five six games and and you've lost your captain who are you kind of looking to for for inspiration in that dressing room so I think Schmeichel's departure I think everybody thought it was strange at the time but it's kind of hit them in two parts in that regard yeah I mean I think it'll be it could be a similar story um Leicester might score one or two but Spurs will score one or two more I'm gonna go comfortable Tottenham Hotspur win really nicely dealt with by Brentford who hit the front with Ivan Tony now he looks for Mbomo Mbomo Right then, Jay, we've kept you waiting long enough. Let's talk Brentford v Arsenal. It's a midday kickoff on Sunday and thoughts will inevitably turn to this fixture on the opening night of last season. But it is a very different game this time round and a much tougher test for Thomas Frank's side, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the opening day of last season was was an absolute fairy tale. It's one of the best um, games and atmospheres I've, I've ever had the privilege of, of going to in my life. And I certainly don't want to take away uh, any of the magic of the occasion. But I think what people forget is that Arsenal's two centre-backs that they they were, were, were Ben White and Pablo Mari. 
Obviously, we know Ben White's a, a quality player, but that was his Arsenal debut. You know, there was massive expectation after he'd made that move. He's playing with Pablo Mari. Not the most, not the best defenders when it comes to, to aerial duels. And I think Ivan Tony just had a had an absolute field day. He just seemed to win absolutely every long ball that David Rea kind of hit towards him. Whereas Arsenal this weekend, I think we can probably expect they're going to line up with Saliba and Gabriel at the back, who are much more physical. And I think they'll give Ivan Tony a, a much better battle. So I think it will be tighter. But then if you just look at the way Brentford have evolved as a club, over the last 12 months or so they've added so much more quality and depth so I think it's going to be a really entertaining game yeah, the best thing about Brentford so far in my opinion Jay is that they've spent a lot of time in games behind yet they've shown that character to get back in games and, and claw back results there seems to be that that togetherness really there people perhaps question that well, it was Christian Eriksen that kept Brentford up but in fact, you look at that team now and that they feel very together. If you're coming back from behind and picking up points, what it feels like most weeks at the moment, that says a lot about Thomas Frank's side. I mean, uh, it's almost become a little bit of a joke. Um, I think they've done it four times in the opening six games. And I've written about it a couple of times now. And, and when they did it against Crystal Palace, in the, I think it was in the 89th minute and, and Palace were, were pretty good throughout the game. Johan Visser scores with a header late on. You, you almost just have to laugh. But I think, obviously, the togetherness of the team plays a part in their ability to come from behind but I think the the actual kind of reason well I think there are two main reasons for why they've kind of shown that this this remarkable bounce back ability this year firstly just because of their strength and depth you know they've managed to to keep the likes of Ivan Tony, David Rea and kind of complement that with with Keen Lewis Potter Aaron Hickey, Mikkel Damsgaard. So they've just got much better quality coming off the substitutes bench. And then also, you know, Thomas Frank and his coaching staff are just excellent at reacting to games. They're really at a top level when it comes to being proactive and not being uh, afraid to kind of make substitutions. To compare it to to when Arsenal lost to Manchester United and, and Mikel Arteta kind of really rolled the dice with making those substitutions, it always looked a little bit naive. Whereas when I've had when I've witnessed Brentford do it over the last year, they're clearly very well drilled at switching to a 3-4-3 or switching to a 3-5-2. All of those players are very comfortable at, in, at playing in different positions. It's not something they just kind of gamble on in the middle of a game. So I think that's kind of why they've shown that they've kind of got the, the flexibility and adaptability to react to different situations and it's definitely helped them out. Yeah, and at the time of recording, George, we don't know what the England squad is, but I expect there to be a revolt in Brentford and probably actually in a fair few other places in the country if Ivan Tony's not there. Has he done enough? I mean, I think he's done enough to get an England call-up. Whether he's done enough to get an England call-up six weeks before the, the World Cup squad get-together, I'm not entirely sure. It, it feels like this is a... The squad we see this afternoon, I'll be amazed if we see any 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 kind of first call-ups. This is... Gareth, we know Gareth Southgate is someone who is very loyal to, to players who have produced for him before, and he is very, very safe. And I, I can't see him looking to bring in Ivan Tony. I, I basically can't see him bringing in anyone who hasn't been involved in the, in the squad before for the World Cup. And for that reason, the likes of, of Tony, I think, will have to wait until um, the first squad after the World Cup, where that is when I'm sure Southgate will start preparing for the, for the Euros in, in 2024 and start to look at players like Tony, who, who quite clearly deserve their chance to show him what, what he can do. I think he'll be in this squad, but not necessarily in the World Cup 26, year. I mean, uh, from a selfish perspective, I am praying that he's in the uh, he's in the 26-man squad um, because I've written 3,000 3, words on it. And... Uh, <laughs> I might have to quickly go back and change some things if that's not the case. I mean, you know, as I've said, I've been following Brentford for, for over 12 months now. And I remember there were a few whispers of him potentially getting called up this time a year ago after he made a, a pretty good start to the season back then. And and to be honest, it did feel a little bit too early. And I remember Gareth Southgate was asked about it in a press conference. And he said, you know, we, we, we obviously monitor pretty much every English player in, who's playing in the Premier League and, 
at the top end of the championship. You know, Ivan started the season well, so fair play to him. But he needs to be doing that kind of week in, week out. Can he make the difference uh, against the top teams? And I think Ivan Tony's form, not just at the beginning of this season, but the back end of last season, where there was a period of time where Brentford looked like they might be in a little bit of trouble. And um, I remember Tony scored um, a hat trick against Norwich and then twice against Burnley. And there were those kind of those moments where he really kind of stepped up and got Brentford out of a hole. But then also, I know Manchester United had a real horror show against Brentford. But just look at his left footed, which is his weaker foot, by the way, half volleyed pass for Brentford's fourth goal against Manchester United. If a Kevin De Bruyne or a a Martin Odegaard or a Thiago Alcantara pulls off that pass, it's being, you know, replayed on on Twitter and TikTok all week. Um, It was a moment of real quality from him. And I think Tony kind of got maybe unfairly labelled by some people who only saw highlights of him as a very traditional target man. If you watch him week out, you realise this is a player who's very, very good at dropping deep and linking up play. He can kind of you know make those passes it's there's a lot more to his game than him just being a penalty (laughs) box striker there's obviously a few similarities stylistically with Harry Kane so you can maybe argue that England don't need him but then you could also argue that he'd be a good backup and an alternative to Kane and then surely he's got to be included just for his uh, exceptional penalty record alone he scored 18 penalties for Brentford he's never missed one for them I think the last penalty he missed was four years ago for Peterborough in a league one game against Barnsley in October 2018 and he was using a completely different technique he just run up run up to it and lamped it so um I mean penalty shootouts are a big thing at major international tournaments and I wouldn't mind him coming on for England and taking one yeah and Arsenal were beaten 3-1 last time we saw them in the Premier League George and then they followed that up by not being particularly convincing in Europe did they bounce back here in that Manchester United game it felt like they were, they were going well they'd got a foothold in the game and then they, they conceded but then it felt like Arteta did a little bit too much with his tactics and his substitutions this is you know this is one for Arsenal to bounce back in isn't it I think it's a really awkward game for them it's a classic case of it's a match that Arsenal fans would expect to win. It's a game where there's no denying they are the better side. But Brentford have proven themselves this season to be not just defensively pretty solid, but also capable of, of um, seeing teams off who are better than them or, or supposedly better than them, as we saw in the Manchester United game in style. So, And after that United result and that performance, Brentford will go into this fully believing that they can go and not just get something out of the game, but, but do the same to Arsenal. So it's a game where expectation versus reality is probably weighted against Mikel Arteta here. Um, where yes, they've come off the back of, of a defeat, and then as you say in Europe, they weren't great. But they'll, you know, the, the expectation from Arsenal fans and football fans in general will be that they'll put this right on Sunday. But I'm not convinced it will be that easy for them. And we've mentioned so many times, I mean, I'm still not convinced at all by Arsenal's defensive ability. And we've seen, you know, the Visa and Bomo uh, Tony trio uh, can be absolutely devastating on the counter, and and that's where we've seen Arsenal be really troubled this season. So they might well win, but I expect Brentford will will have a, a a big part to play in the game on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to go for a narrow Arsenal win, Jay. I mean, uh, I don't want Brentford fans to be upset with me, but I just think on this occasion, Arsenal will probably have enough quality, but I think it will be a really tight game. So I can see it being a, a 2-1 or, or, or a 1-0 or something like that. But having said that, I, th- I do think Arsenal will, Arsenal have shown they can be vulnerable at the back this season. And I think, as we said, Tony's on fire. This has popped up with a few key goals and Josh De Silva, whose former Arsenal Academy products looked good as well. So they can definitely hurt Arsenal. George? I think, and I know I'm going to get sick for this from Arsenal fans and they go in, I think Arsenal drop points. I, I don't know how, but I think it'll be, uh, I think Brentford will, will come away from something from the game. Well, you've got to do more than that. You've got to give me a draw. Do you know what, guys? I've uh, I've seen what's going to happen. I've looked into my mystic ball. Regardless <laughs> of whether he gets included in the England squad or left out, Ivan Tony's clearly going <laughs> to score because he's either going to cement the reason why Southgate's included him or, or, or prove a little bit of a point. 
as to why he was left out. So Tony's going to come. Tony's going to do something memorable in this game for sure. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, a, a draw with Tony on the score sheet. Let's say that. Okay, we got there in the end with you, George. Come nice <laughs> on the fence on this podcast. Everton v West Ham is Sunday at two fifteen. It's four draws in a row for Everton now, George. Is Lampard doing a good job when when I've watched them. I'd say there has been some encouraging aspects to the performances. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's a case of of um, Lampard's to me looks like he's he's learning quite quickly on the job. I mentioned earlier in the podcast how he's he's kind of changed the way that um he's looking for his team to play, which suits the the team that he's got and maybe the technical deficiencies of his side compared to other Premier League teams. I think if you if you're gonna look to be a team that, that presses high and, and wins the ball high up and, and takes risks in terms of, of where you look to have your defensive line, you've got to be pretty top comfortable and pretty sure that you have higher physical and technical capabilities than your position. This Everton squad do not have that as we saw last season. They are Still a side where, in my opinion, survival has to be the has to be the aim. And you know, there there was definitely something of a reliance on Jordan Pickford to um, to get the the point they got against Liverpool. But but fair enough because Pickford, um, when he's on form, does win you points, and that's what he did there. And as I mentioned on this pod a couple of weeks ago, I, I personally, I know it's not a, a view shared by lots of people, but I think their business in the transfer window was really really strong. I, I like a lot of the players they brought in, um, whether it was the Cody Tarkovsky partnership, which again did very well against Liverpool and has done well recently. Uh, Anana in midfield, Mope up front, and then Garner and Gay, um, two different players, Garner and Gay. Uh, still to come in as well so yeah I'm I'm fairly positive about Everton they just have to find a way now to turn fairly solid displays into 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 those which will justify three points on a regular basis yeah Jordan Pickford's injured so he's going to be a huge miss for them because he's on really good form some unbelievable saves in that Merseyside derby Anana was superb in that game as, as well Jay he he looks like a, a great sign he's such a unique footballist so tall and so good so good on the ball and gets around the pitch so well he's going to be a big signing actually someone who could have been playing for the other team yeah I've been really impressed with Onana and, and funnily enough when um, Brentford played Everton a, a couple of weeks ago um, Everton were winning 1-0 looked fairly comfortable and then all of a sudden Lampard decided to take Onana off and I, I distinctly remember at the time thinking that that's a decision that could backfire and I, I looked to, to my colleague that the Athletics Everton correspondent Greg O'Keefe and he kind of said the same we thought like, that seemed a little bit bizarre and the second Onana kind of came out of that team you know just holes appeared in Everton's midfield they looked a little bit more vulnerable and obviously Brentford started pushing numbers forward and, and, and eventually eventually got the equaliser but Onana's really impressed me I know it's such a cliche but he, he kind of makes an impact at, at both ends of the pitch he's been really sharp at you know making interceptions and kind of screening the the Everton back three or back four, depending on what formation they're using. But he's looked really good kind of dribbling with the ball and kind of making a few neat passes as well. So he's been a player I'm really impressed with. Everton have, have spent money in the last five or so years and, and some of those signings, I think it's fair to say, haven't exactly worked out. But I think the early signs suggest um, Onana's going to be really promising and a, and a great addition. Yeah, I see your example and I've got an example as well because I was at the game when Villa played Everton at Villa Park and Villa were looking really comfortable and then suddenly Onana came on and Villa did not look comfortable at all. So that's probably a few things there that, that tell you that he's a very very good footballer West Ham one winning seven in the league so far George weird because this is the summer where Moises you'll feel like he's finally been back they've spent a lot of money West Ham does there become a point where questions are asked of him I think a, a defeat here um we'll we'd see the first conversations around Moyes and, and West Ham I, I don't think it would be anywhere near him uh, being sacked or, or losing his job but I think that would really signify a very very poor start to the season uh, as you say he's been backed um, you know he has set high standards himself you know it's always important when you're looking at a manager to, to look at where a club was before they took over and you know 
Moyes would be falling foul to his own standards. But then I guess when you are being supported the way that he has been um, with the money that was spent over the summer, then you have to continue to progress rather than going backwards. Um, I think they've looked poor. This isn't a case of, of West Ham getting unlucky and not picking up, getting the, the results they deserved apart from the game I mentioned earlier, the Forest game. Um, they don't look particularly fluent or confident. Um, Skamak has really struggled to set, settle in um, mainly off the bench, but he hasn't looked like the player that I thought they were getting um, who was so dominant in Italy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's concerning times for them. I think the good news for them is that there are quite clearly going to be at least three teams who are much worse than them and we can expect them to improve. So um, it might be a season where they aren't knocking on the door for, for automatic qualification. Uh, I think after the couple of seasons they've had uh, under David Moyes, hopefully their fans would be happy to to retain the faith in him to get them back there. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a, 38 games is a pretty short season and, um, you know, we're not that far off being a quarter, quarter of the way through it. But then again, a win here for West Ham uh, and, you know, they're, they, I'm sure they're favourites to win the game. You know, it'd be a big deal for Moyes and his team to, to try and get back to where they think they should be. You going to predict a West Ham win, George? Um, I'm going to say a draw again. Big draw weekend. You've drawn every. I felt like you've drawn every game. Have I? Yeah, I might have done. Yeah. Feels like you said the word draw an awful lot in these podcasts. To be honest, I'm going for a there draw we as well. Jay, I'm actually going to go with a um, a West Ham win for this one. I just think you know I've been really impressed with Lucas Paqueta so far, and I just feel like we have to kind of remember, although they've not started the season particularly well, they have played Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham. So with a kind of run of fixtures, you'd maybe expect them to to look a little bit better. But then um, I'm not sure if I've already mentioned it, but we're talking about West Ham's new signings. I don't think Tilo Carreras looked particularly good so far. And it can be a little bit, it can be quite hard for a centre-back to get thrown straight into a starting eleven in a new team in a new league. But he's definitely looked a, a little bit vulnerable at times. But I still feel like West Ham will kind of get their act together and, and, and potentially win this game. Yeah, when he gets properly up to speed, he's going to be a hell of a player for West Ham. Now, the only game we haven't mentioned yet is the Eddie Howe derby, Newcastle against Bournemouth on Saturday afternoon. So let's tick that one off quickly. George, have Bournemouth got any chance at all? I mean, they have to have a chance. Um, they come here off the back of an away win in the Premier League under, under Gary O'Neill. Uh, he'll be desperate, I'm sure, to to continue to show his credentials for the job. Uh, it's, you know, for somebody like Gary O'Neill, um, who I've worked with a lot, he's a great man and uh, a really nice guy as well. But given, you know, he's fairly new to the coaching game, this opportunity to to show himself to be capable of managing a Premier League football team is is pretty massive for him. So he'll be absolutely desperate to do that. Good start, a great though. start. Yeah, I mean, and and. and and Four a positive points. result here would, would really solidify his claims to, to take the job on full-time. But, you know, there's clearly Newcastle are the better side. And um, I think, you know, Alexander Isak, as we mentioned uh, on the pod before, is a player that I, you know, even though he started pretty well, uh, he missed a big chance um, last weekend, but but he started pretty well. I think this could be the kind of game where he really shows Premier League fans how good he is because um, I've got a feeling he's going to be uh, one of the big stars in the league in the next couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned Gary O'Neill. I know, I know Tommy Elphick. I know he's absolutely loving it in, in the Premier League at, at the moment. So, you know, I think I think they have got a chance. I think they've probably got a little bit of momentum at the, at the moment after the back of those two results. And Newcastle draw Kings so far in the, in the Premier League this season. I don't think there's any reason why Bournemouth can't go there and get a point. No, not at all. As you said, they've got a little bit of momentum. I think what's been been pleasing to see from, from an outsider's perspective is, is Dominic Solanke, you know, actually get mm. fit. Um, pick up a goal and kind of show some of the form that he that was on display in the in the championship last season. I think what probably works in in Bournemouth's favour as well was that there are question marks over the fitness of um, Alan Saint Maximum and, and Bruno Gamarish. We've obviously briefly touched upon Alexander Isak and how good he's looked in his first couple of games for Newcastle, but. Gamares is just another level in terms of his class and the way he controls the ball. And then St. Maximum, 
you know, I've watched him live twice and just the kind of <laughs> chaos he puts in defenders' minds and the unpredictability. So if Newcastle are missing that, it, it's definitely a positive for Bournemouth. But having said that, I would still expect Newcastle to, to maybe have enough in this occasion to pick up uh, pick up the three points. I'm going to go, I'm going to go draw. You know, I think if Gamarish doesn't on, play... You can't, you can't hammer George for, for sitting on the fence. <laughs> no, no. I think I've, I, I, I called, I've definitely called, I've called wins in this podcast. I called Arsenal to win. I called Spurs to win. I've definitely called some win, wins in this podcast but I think if Gamares isn't there I think he's been forced to act as the conductor at the moment because Shelby's not there at the moment I think suddenly there isn't that type of player in the Newcastle midfield and that may be something that Bournemouth can exploit George draw <laughs> no Newcastle win Newcastle win well done George well done so I think I think that's us drawing 3-3 three, three for Jaws Dan so there we go perfect yeah, I've, I've been known to spin the odd narrative that's not true, George. <laughs> that's it for this week. Enjoy the weekend's action. Don't forget that Mark Chapman is back next week, bringing you the best insight into the biggest stories in football. And finally, you can head to The Athletic and subscribe for just a pound a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Enjoy all the football this weekend. The Athletic. <laughs>